What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and this is Life in the Fast Chain. On this episode, you'll hear a news update by Todd McDonald and myself, a new blockchain bite for the week, and an interview with Seth Kammerman and Sebastian Duyeb, co-founders of Commodity. It's a great episode, so let's get to it. I am here with Kevin from our research team who has been providing me with the blockchain bytes for the podcast. Thank you for being here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So uh, you have sent me a few blockchain bytes, a lot of which I don't understand. So let's, let's go through uh, one of them this week. Um, this one is what are atomic transactions? So, Kevin, what is this? What are they? Atomic transactions are transactions that either happen in their entirety or they do not happen at all. So, say there's a cash leg uh, and a securities leg for a delivery versus payment transaction. Uh, an atomic transaction w- would make sure that both legs of that trade go through or else the trade is canceled. Okay, so I kind of get that. Can you go in a little more detail? Uh, what, why is it atomic? What does that mean? What's the purpose of that word? I think it's related to how you can't break apart an atom, like, you know, a small, a small particle. Yep. Uh, so similarly, uh, you can't break apart this transaction. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm not a physicist, but uh, I, I, if I had to guess, I, I'd say that's the reason. <laughs> okay, was that great good? guess. Yeah, it was, uh, that was a good one. Awesome. Definitely landed. Cool. Um, okay, so can you give me another example just to... Uh, Yeah, here's another example. I think recently we were talking about uh, our decentralized LSM work and how uh, when you're netting multilaterally between a lot of different parties, you want to make sure that that the netting uh, calculation uh, and the settlement between all the parties happens uh, or the netting doesn't happen at all because if you only net out some, uh, some payments and other payments aren't netted out, then it leads to a very complicated mess. Um, so that's another example with the, some of our decentralized LSM work that you've seen uh, in, in Project Ubin Phase 2 uh, in Singapore, for example. Okay, great. Um, so in Corda, transactions are atomic, yeah? Uh, not all of them are atomic. I, th- I, I, would, I think atomic really involves like two steps happening as one. So if there's only one specific transaction, then... I mean, maybe you could call that atomic, but I think <laughs> I think people mainly use atomic uh, to refer to like a two-step transaction. Okay, cool. I feel smarter. Thank you. Uh, anything else from the research team? Um, yep, we're, we're always having public research coming out uh, this April first. Uh, we have a paper on trade finance gaps that we co-wrote with Capco uh, that'll be out. Uh, also, recently publicly released a, a paper that we co-wrote with Chain that on commercial and specialty insurance. Uh, So that's also worth giving a read as well. That's a really interesting paper because it is another, obviously we talk about financial services a lot, um, but that shows kind of reaching, blockchain reaching um, insurance, the insurance industry. Yeah, and you see a lot of the same problems like with data reconciliation, both uh, between firms and also internally within firms and insurance. Uh, It's funny how, how, you know, across capital markets, trade finance, cash and payments, insurance, you all see kind of similar problems, which hopefully this this technology can help address. Yep, that's the dream. That's the dream. Ledger <laughs> dream. Ledger nirvana. 
<laughs> okay, thank you again, Kevin. Uh, for more information, you guys can go to r3.com slash research, or you can always email the research team, research at r3.com. I am here with co-founder and head of partnerships at R3, Todd McDonald. Thanks for being here today with me. Thanks for having me, Catherine. I know you have a lot of free time, so (laughs) this is not a big deal, but I still appreciate it. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to thank you because uh, I used to write a weekly blog post uh, called uh, The Weekend Read, and until my kids protested so much that they didn't see me over the weekend. (laughs) So I much prefer to do this in audio format, so hopefully we can have this be a recurring segment. Yes, I would love to. Okay, let's get into it. So we are going to first talk about um, a Coindesk article titled Blockchain Can Help UK Stay Relevant After Brexit, says EU Lawmaker. So it starts, a British member of the European Parliament, or MEP, has called on the City of London and the Bank of England to embrace blockchain technology as a means of staying relevant in the post-Brexit era. So the article goes on, and um, the MEP, Kay uh, Swinburne, talks about how um, she felt a post-Brexit Britain was a better position than the EU to benefit from blockchain technology, but only if it is prepared to take risks. So she also says we have the opportunity to really make a difference in a way that I don't think Europe post-Brexit is going to be able to do. So, Todd, what are your thoughts here in regard to the U.K. being better positioned to take on blockchain post-Brexit? Well, I completely agree because uh, the first step, if you have any problem, is to put a blockchain on it. Um, (laughs) It fixes uh, all your ills. Um, I think it's it's interesting to hear the perspective from uh, from the U.K. I think I made a comment last week. I was at a DTCC event, and one of the things I've been observing is that uh, the U.K. is is pretty far ahead of, for example, the United States on where they're looking to take this technology, how they're supporting fintech generally, and what uh, the regulators can do to support that. So I think that's really positive. Um, but honestly, nothing's really going to help them with Brexit, if I'm yeah. totally honest. <laughs> they're just finding excuses, yeah. things they're, they're, to uh, highlight they're, on. Yeah, they're perfuming the pig on that one. All right, next up. So Twitter will ban ICO ads starting March 27th. Um, So Twitter announced on Monday of this week that cryptocurrency advertisements would be banned from the website starting Tuesday. Um, So all ads related to initial coin offerings, ICOs, token sales, exchanges, and wallet services, excluding public companies listed on major stock markets, will be removed from the site according to the announcement. Yeah. A, spoke per, a spokesperson said the move is aimed at ensuring the safety of the Twitter community. The safety of the Twitter community? That's Are they going to do first. anything about our president <laughs> before they attack the uh, crypto ads? I know. Well, okay. If someone is tweeting, send me Bitcoin, like, mm-hmm. you know you're not going to do it. I do it immediately, right away. <laughs> uh, so, From so, the R3 Twitter account. Exactly. That's my first move. So I would like to personally thank uh, Jack Dorsey for saving me from the James uh, Altucher ads that were following me all over the internet about <laughs> how he can return me thousands of percent a week by investing in cryptocurrencies. Um, I, it, it, was a, it continues to be a big problem. It's going to be a big problem uh, for any social media outlets. Uh, the, the best advice I, give, I can give to people is, 
don't read the replies of uh, sort of uh, crypto Twitter threads. Oh, my goodness. That's the best advice you can <laughs> yes, give. Yes, because if you read, for example, uh, a tweet by Vitalik Buterin and then a reply from Vitalik to his own tweet <laughs> where the I is replaced with a one and he's asking you to send send him some uh, some ETH, uh, it's almost definitely not him. So, what? <laughs> yes, I hate to break it to you, but... Well, I think it's it's um, it's interesting because there's there's great innovation and mm-hmm. there is, we're moving really really quickly in the in in both in the blockchain and even the crypto world. Um, but with that, you bring in quite a bit of scammers, unfortunately. Yes, that is true. Does it happen to your personal Twitter account? Because the R three Twitter gets attacked constantly, and it's you know, very. I look forward to the day when I have enough <laughs> Twitter followers to get uh, to get <laughs> spammed by by Russians and, and also from crypto scams. Yeah, well, I guess that means the R three Twitter is doing something right or something wrong. <laughs> I'm not really sure which one. Um, okay, so next on the list, uh, the HQLAX slash Deutsche Borse press release. It's on our website, uh, r3.com. It's also on HQLA and uh, Deutsche Borse's websites as well. There's a bunch of articles on them. Todd, can you talk a little bit about this? Because um, HQLAX and Deutsche Borse, they're partnering with Corda to, to accomplish this. So, Yep. First, uh, a big shout out to, to Guido, Ali, Nick Short, and all the guys at HQLAX. Um, it's amazing to see uh, a startup, you know, we're a startup as well, see a startup persevere uh, through all of the uh, hard work that you need to do to get, to get them something stood up. So this is a really a big watershed moment for them. But I think taking a different tack around what it means for, for the industry and what it means for digital assets, um, mm-hmm. this is uh, quite important. This, so what HQLAX is doing is they're, they're, they're creating a regulated digital asset in, in, in securities lending. And what this partnership is showing with Deutsche Borsa is this is all about making it real and not making it real in the future, but making it real today. So it's about acceleration. So Deutsche Borsa is, uh, has the, the regulatory framework. They are a custodian. Um, and I think also don't forget they have, uh, they have connectivity to a vast number of existing customers mm-hmm. and a full front end for them to interface with in this case, the HQLX platform, mm-hmm. but also underneath the hood of the Corda blockchain. Uh, so it's a huge step forward for them. And also, I'm quite obsessed with this concept of digital assets in general. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really big this year. Uh, we also had another partner, Tradewind Markets, which announced uh, earlier this week that they have gone live with their gold um, exchange which is also creating a digital asset backed by gold held in a in a vault. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. a regulated asset that really is unlocked for uh, institutional investors. Uh, so it's extremely exciting. And in fact, I will be writing a, a post on this in the coming, I'll say, weeks. Amazing. Yeah, myself. never put a timeline yes, on it. I've, I've learned that the hard way with this podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you, Todd, for that information. To read that press release, again, you can go on all of our sites and um, Coindesk, Cointelegraph, they've all covered it as well. Um, so next up, Vitalik wants you to pay to slow Ethereum's runaway growth. This is a Cointelegraph article. Um, so could adding a new fee help preserve Ethereum in the long run? Um, it's a contentious statement in light of the debates ongoing across blo- blockchains over how and when users should pay to support what amount to global computing 
networks. However, the concept is now gaining notable momentum on Ethereum, most recently from the creator of the world's second largest blockchain himself, Vitalik. So his concept described in a recent blog post revolves around so-called rent fees, whereby users would be asked to pay to use the network based on how long they'd like their data to remain accessible on the blockchain. If too many people use the resource for free, the network starts taking on the costs itself, um, which makes sense to me why they would want people paying rent fees. Um, And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that there is already reason to worry. So this all makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting that this is a concept that's thrown around but hasn't really been kind of put to use yet with cryptos. Well, I think there's a there's a big challenge currently. Uh, mm-hmm. If you think of storage on a blockchain with Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of the other uh, public chains, it's mm-hmm. massively expensive when you th- when you take all all things in. Uh, especially if you compare it to something like Dropbox, it's like a hundred times more expensive. Yeah. So that is unsustainable, and I think you know there's some kind of concept of Moore's law that and, and that we'll be able to fix it in the future. And I think the other interesting part for me on this article is that it's hard to run away from the reality of uh, of governance. Mm-hmm. So this is a governance uh, question again. It's really about Vitalik proposing taxes to his community or to his polity. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the day, everyone hates taxes. And so, what? Yeah, they do. I love my taxes. <laughs> You're very, very odd. <laughs> uh, so this is what this is. It's, it's kind of odd to be uh, imposing, in essence, a tax on a decentralized system. But this is sort of that that where the where the decentralized all things world and sort of the the I guess the, the governance kind of meet. That's where the interesting debates happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. In the article, it says one problem with this though is that fees, kind of like taxes, are never popular. Never. So that's <laughs> they hit the nail that, right yes, on the head. Exactly. <laughs> the Ethereum fees are too damn high. Too damn high. All right, so for our final story, uh, social media app to reward users for their time with cryptocurrency. This is by Cointelegraph. This is the most millennial article ever. I, I know. Why do you think I picked it? Um, so a new social media app powered by blockchain, the blockchain. It's powered by blockchain. Incredible. <laughs> is vowing to turn procrastination into profit. Uh, this is such a scam. By, in my own opinion, um, by incentivizing users for creating and liking content, rewarding social media users for their time and creativity spent online. Let me just say that if I got paid for the amount of time I spent on social media for my job, because I run the social media accounts here at R3, but also just in general, I'd be a billionaire. I think we should create Slack coin and all the millennials here would be (laughs) (laughs) ungodly rich. So so, uh, is it a scam? I I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I can't really say that because that's my my own little opinion. I I think so. Let me let me take the other side of this. I'll defend it a little bit. Uh, I'll pretend that I'm a millennial for the moment. So. So there's there needs to be different approaches to to certain things, and and I think it's interesting to look at this in in light of what's happening at Facebook over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was this big movement where uh, there's all these articles and think pieces that blockchain is going to come and solve the Facebook problem. Mm-hmm. That's actually not going to be the case. It potentially could create a different uh, social uh, network uh, that we can't even really understand right now. But it's not going to just take Facebook and put it on a blockchain. Yeah. Uh, the other 
sort of challenge here is that the people are going to have to try a bunch of things because any system like this, number one, it's going to be gamed because everything gets gamed. Mm-hmm. And number two, what the internet has taught, taught us is that anything will get spammed. If you look at what happened with Earn.com, yeah. uh, basically it's just a really, really efficient spam machine. Um, there, but you know, we'll see how things evolve, I think, with Steam and, and the basic attention token. There, it's, it's interesting concepts, but they're going to go through a lot of growing pains. Yeah, I feel like right now with this technology, there, there. We talk about the hype cycle a lot. This is just very hyped up. It's like, how many things can we put on a blockchain? But okay. all the things, <laughs> all Catherine. Things. All the things. <laughs> so to give a little more background for um, the listeners, so uh, Apex is going to be. I hope I said that right. Is going to be established. I as pronounce it Apex. Apex. <laughs> it's so much more fancy. Um, is going to be established as one of the first smart media tokens, SMTs, on the Steam blockchain, where the concept of transforming likes into cryptocurrency has already been explored through the Steamit platform. And if the age-old mantra of time is money is true, would-be users could be in for a payday, with research from the Global Web Index suggesting the typical person now spends two hours on social networks, wow, I'm above typical, per day, with mobile usage increasing drastically worldwide. So um, it all kind of sounds great. So I I wish them the best. I'm still a little skeptical. (laughs) I'm sure they will appreciate your well wishes. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Todd. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Have I convinced you to come back? Um, I'll get back to you. Okay. Well, I'll take it. Thanks. Today on the podcast, we have Seth Kammerman and Sebastian Duyeb. Um, they are both co-founders of Commodity. Is that how you say it? I want to make sure the listeners and everyone is talking about you right. Right. Uh, I, I mean, they are already, but uh, we, we say Commodity. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Everyone write that down. So tell me a little bit about, about yourselves, Seth you start, and then let's hit Sebastian. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, I have a background in finance and commodities. Uh, worked at Goldman Sachs for 12 years, uh, then wanted to get out of the big bank environment. Uh, mm-hmm. So went to a startup physical commodity merchant with Sebastian and a few mm-hmm. other partners. We founded that business and uh, built that from scratch. Then uh, we left that in the middle of last year or so and decided that we wanted to become startup technology people. Don't we all? <laughs> I wish I was a startup technology person, just a startup person. Uh, yes, and uh, same similar background, finance as well. I was at uh, Goldman Sachs for eight years. And then after that, uh, worked for uh, two merchants, one established one, and then the uh, latest one was um, uh, the one where I met Seth. Great. And we really enjoyed working together, and now we're on that our uh, second venture together. So. Live, living the dream, the startup dream. <laughs> the startup dream. Yeah, so tell me, what is it like building a company from the ground up? We're getting better at it. So That's great. Uh, learning lessons every time we do this that I think we're very conscious of trying to internalize and incorporate in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to not take things too seriously and not get too... Uh, it's hard because uh, you've put so much of yourself into it, but you have to not get too attached to sort of the highs and lows that happen in the course of any startup mm-hmm. uh, and try to stay focused on that medium to longer term. So mm-hmm. I guess gotcha. we're 
I'm yeah. personally working at that. Yeah, I mean, we, we notice people sometimes tend to get overly excited. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's justified when you make progress. Uh, but with experience, you realize that, you know, it's, it's probably better to be more measured. And Yeah, I can imagine it's tough, but it seems like you guys have a great thing going on. So tell us a little bit more about commodity. Sure, I'll start. You should add, Sebastian. So uh, commodity is focused on uh, post-trade services in the physical commodity markets, mainly oil and natural gas. Mm -hmm. So when we worked at Hudson Field, the merchant, we were involved in setting up a lot of the infrastructure for that business, uh, arranging financing from the commodity, the big commodity trade finance banks. And we realized coming from the financial world and the derivative markets, uh, how archaic and uh, inefficient a lot of the processes were. So things like uh, confirmations mm -hmm. and reconciliations and invoicing and settlement and the movement of uh, letters of credit back and forth among market participants. And so after the business wound down last year and we started thinking about new areas to explore, uh, frankly, we sort of weren't planning to focus on commodities, but as we learn more about blockchain technology and what it's capable of, I think we realized pretty quickly there was a very interesting opportunity to match up the capabilities of blockchain infrastructure with some of the operational challenges in the commodity markets. And that's what we're focused on. Killing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting, though, because we're, I mean, I'm talking about blockchain at all moments of the day, but um, it's cool to hear about all this, the different things going on with mm -hmm. blockchain. Um, so, so why exactly did you pick blockchain? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Sure. So, so yeah. I think... Um, there is a little bit of a tendency uh, to, if you're in the blockchain world, to want to throw blockchain tech at any problem. Oh, um, yeah. I uh, just talked about this with Todd earlier. So. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, not being you know traditional blockchain people, I think uh, maybe can say that we see that happening a little too much. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think we believe that what blockchain ultimately does well is provide infrastructure to distributed markets mm -hmm. um, and decentralized marketplaces where we don't want to change the market structure. Uh, mm -hmm. We just want to make the market structure, particularly with post-trade operations, more efficient. And so that's exactly what blockchain is really good at because it allows you to reference uh, sort of a, a single asset or object that touches many hands all the way through a value chain. and. Um, reference that object and sort of the associated transactions in such a way that it benefits the parties who need to see that information without changing the natural relationships within the market. And, and that's specifically, we should say, within the sort of private permissioned uh, distributed ledger space that we're operating in. Uh, when you start talking about public blockchains and crypto, it's a whole different world. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of our philosophy, I guess, around that. Mm -hmm. Great. Sorry. Anything to add? No, no. Per perfect answer. He's stealing your thunder. I know, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> no, it's okay. Me too. That's why I created a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you guys in the process of building the company? Sure. So um, so so essentially we need we need two things, right? To mm -hmm. in order for the in order for the project to, to progress. So we need uh, technology mm -hmm. and then also we need industry partners. So on the technology side, we have, well, we have the partnership with R3. 
We also have identified um, technology developers that can help us de- uh, build on uh, on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, what we've been doing the past few months is trying to find the right partner with whom uh, we um, we can build this prototype. And so we've been essentially, you know, going around and and meeting with a bunch of industry players at the highest level. And so and. Uh, it's going well. Like we're we're getting a, a lot of traction, um, and we're hoping that we're pretty close on you know finalizing with with one of the uh, the counterparts that we've been speaking to, so that we can finally start uh, the, the prototype. In the meantime, uh, what we've done is we started to develop a, a, de- a demo mm-hmm. uh, that we hope will be available in the in the next couple of weeks, and that will help with the momentum and you know show. Uh, the capabilities of of uh, the blockchain and and Corda in this case. I think you know one thing that's been exciting in the space is there's so much interest in blockchain tech generally, uh, Corda specifically. There are a lot of people who want to develop on the platform, so mm-hmm. it's been I'd say relatively easy to get traction and interest from uh, uh, technology partners and, and developers. Uh, and the same thing actually within the industry. There's um, uh, even though people don't necessarily know what blockchain is, they know it's something they should be interested in, mm-hmm. and they are very open to talking about it. Uh, I will say, I think it's it's very early in the process of the market learning about this and and you know understanding how it can benefit them. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know we're not just trying to sell a product; we're also sort of selling them on the general technology and its uh, its potential, and then secondarily, sort of our product. Um, and I think if anything is sort of a headwind, it's it's the feeling that maybe it's it's early to settle on a given technology or a given platform within the space. That's sort of one of the challenges we have. Yeah, that makes sense. So if I wanted to reach out to you guys and potentially partner with you or whatever, what's the process for for me if I want to either learn more or just reach out and kind of get involved in what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, just it's as simple as getting in touch with us. Um, <laughs> send, it, send an That's email. Send an email. Sounds and simple. We, can, we, have, we have a website that says under construction. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. At least it's it's moving. That means it's there's moving. something going on in the background. We've been very careful about not dedicating resources to anything that isn't really like critical path to the next step in the process. Um, you kind of have to maybe, do that, too, with a startup. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's that's interesting because also there's just so much education around obviously what you guys are doing, but blockchain just in general, it's like a two-step process for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. How can people reach out to you? What are your emails? Where where are we going? You have a LinkedIn page. We're yep. Follow uh, that. You could do Seth at Commodity or Sebastian at Commodity. Find us on LinkedIn. Easy. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. We have a ton of great guests lined up for the podcast in the coming weeks, so be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with friends.